Welcome to the Spirit Forward Podcast, a show dedicated to the teaching, discussion, and demonstration of the work of the Spirit of Jesus. God bless you, and thanks for listening. Hey friends, and welcome to the Spirit Forward Podcast. My name is Joshua Robinson, and today we're doing some FAQ. And uh, I have with me a list of frequently asked questions, uh, along with some questions that uh, folks have just sent in. Some are less frequently asked, I guess, so maybe we should change the title. But these are good, solid questions about the work of the Holy Spirit. And realistically, this is the point and purpose of this podcast. Um, As Ken says, we are here um, to uh, give encouragement and teaching to those who are as he says, uh, curious but cautious about the work of the Spirit. And you might be cautious for various reasons. Some people are cautious because we've been brought up a certain way in the church that says, you know, God speaks through his word and through preaching, and that's just about it. Um, You have other people who are cautious because we were brought up a way that uh, allowed us to be hurt by the church and through uh, what we call charismatic excess or charismatic abuse. So for various reasons, people are cautious. Um, I, I think it's good and wise for us um, to be, uh, to, as Paul said, walk circumspectly. Uh, and let's just kind of weigh out what we're talking about here. But uh, I don't think there's a need to be skeptical. Uh, we don't have to be skeptical, uh, certainly not towards other believers. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, it says that love believes all things. And I think it's good to give benefit of the doubt. So I, I want to encourage you not to fall into um, being skeptical of your brothers and sisters, but it's very good uh, to walk in wisdom and to weigh these things out. So we have some really great questions that have come from you guys. And um, for those who have maybe heard our conference teaching or seen some of our stuff online or maybe read my book or just, you know, in talking with some of us um, pastors, that's where these questions come from. So I'm going to go ahead and hopefully uh, get five of them in this episode. Um, It's just me on the podcast today. Hopefully I don't ramble. Here we go. Help me, Jesus. How do you know when God has given you a spiritual gift? What a beautiful question that is. Uh, There's no hint of skepticism in it. There's no hint of, uh, you know, accusation or anything. This is coming from a heart of a believer who wants to serve the Lord Jesus with a spiritual gift. So how do you know? I think this really connects well to the concept that exists in churches concerning like spiritual gift tests. Uh, You ever been in those situations where you've been in a church and it's like, it's almost like one of those just social media questionnaires, you know, that are, you know, which Ninja Turtle are you? Answer these 20 questions. And, you know, we kind of do the same thing with spiritual gifts. It's like answer these 20 questions and we'll tell you what spiritual gifts you have. So how do you know when God has given you a spiritual gift? Um, Well, I think if we go all the way back to Psalm 34, we would recognize that if you wait upon the Lord, he's going to implant, he's going to give, he's going to provide the desires of your heart. And when Paul talked about ministry, for, for example, he said, if anyone desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. And so... I want to make this just as simple as possible. I like to say to our folks, if you can imagine yourself, and you don't even have to imagine hard because it happens all the time. If you imagine yourself responding to a need, how are you inclined to respond? So if the need comes up in your friend's life, 
What is it that you are going to instinctively respond with? Are you going to provide them you know, answers to get out of that situation or to um, rectify that situation? If you want to provide answers, you might have a teaching gift. If it is that you want to bear their burdens, you might have a gift of mercy. If you if uh, if you have a desire to you know give financially or give uh, I don't know groceries or something into their life, it's some kind of a giving. You might very well have um, a a gift of giving. So I I think if if we just simplify this and we say in what way am I yearning to respond instinctively responding to a need? That's a spiritual gift. And that's the Lord working through you. I just kind of look at it like this. The Apostle Paul said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. And so if there's a good thing coming through me, I'm just going to recognize in that moment I'm being a conduit. I'm being a pipeline for the Lord Jesus to just flow good things through me. And they're not coming from me. They're coming from him. So I just rejoice in any good thing, any good thing. And we don't have to uh, fall into a trap of wanting one gift or another. Like, well, I have a teaching gift, but I wish I had a giving gift. I wish I was more hospitable. I wish I was blah, blah, blah. Um, but rather we can rejoice that the Lord is actually giving good gifts through you. As messed up as we are, the Lord is doing his work through us. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. So I think we could really simplify the idea of identifying spiritual gifts by just uh, understanding how is it that I'm instinctively responding right now um, to a need, especially you know to those who are uh, within God's family. Okay, then there there would be other gifts too. I, I think about the uh, Apostle Peter in in First Peter. He said that there's basically two categories of gifts, two categories of gifts. Neither of them are called sign gifts. By the way, sign gifts are not a category by themselves. They're not. That's not a term in the Bible. But, what, but his categories were speaking gifts and ministering gifts, or like speaking and doing. Um, so he said, if anyone speaks, let it be as the oracles of God. <laughs> what a statement. And then he said, and then if you minister, let it be uh, by faith. Let it be according to the grace. Paul said, according to the grace that's been given unto you. So it's speaking and it's ministering. So how do you know if you have a spiritual gift? Well, I don't know. Did an oracle of God just come out of your mouth? <laughs> right? Did, did the wisdom of God just flow through you? And we've been in those situations. If you've been a Christian for, um, I mean, more than five minutes, you've been in those scenarios where you've been speaking and something so wise comes out of your mouth and you go, whoa, man, that was the Lord. Um, hey, hallelujah, that was a spiritual gift. That was what I think Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 14, words of wisdom, utterances of wisdom. Where did that come from? That was a gift of the Spirit. So if we use Peter's simplified categories, if I'm ministering by faith and by grace, or if I'm speaking according to like these revelations of God, then you're going to know that was a spiritual gift. I think for teachers of the Word of God, if you teach... Um, anything if you if you are teaching the word of god i think we should lean into those oracles i think we should desire opening the word of god lord i need a revelation i need some understanding would you open the eyes of my heart and give me the understanding today and and look for those aha moments where wisdom just pow flows so these are these are ways that we can simplify the identifying of spiritual gifts i don't think we need to complicate it i don't think we need to systematize it i think that we should um, rejoice and um, walk in 
gratitude that the Lord would actually speak through us, that he would actually work through us. It's awesome. So question number one was, how do you know when God has given you a spiritual gift? Let's see. Question two, how do you trust what someone is saying when they are sharing a gift with you, such as a gift of prophecy? How do you trust what someone is saying? What a great statement. Something that helps me in measuring out what we refer to as prophetic gifts, utterances of wisdom, utterances of knowledge, revelations, things like that. Um, I just try to uh, compare it to preaching. Um, I think all of us uh, have a concept of what preaching is. And by the way, teaching is a spiritual gift. So the same parameters that you would have on a teacher, you know, I could ask this question like, how do you, how do you trust what a teacher is saying from from the pulpit? How do you trust what a preacher is saying? And I, I think you can probably use the same parameters here. So what what would be your answer? I'll give you a second here to think about this. What would be your answer? How can I trust a preacher? Mm. Well, first of all, we would say the word of God, right? That was probably your answer. I would measure it according to the word of God. In the book of Acts, there was a group of Christians in Berea and said they were noble because they would search the scriptures daily and see if what Paul was saying was true. And again, I don't think we should promote skepticism. That's not a spiritual gift. It's not promoted anywhere in the scriptures. It didn't say they were searching to see what Paul said was false. It says they were searching to see if it was true. Um, and so answer number one, how do I trust what somebody's saying we start with the Word of God. Uh, secondly, I would say um, there's safety in a multitude of counselors, says the book of Proverbs. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. So if somebody came to me with like an apparent prophecy, if somebody came and said, man, you're going to get a pay raise in you know, 14 days, uh, what, what would I do with that? I would go with that prophecy, whatever the prophecy was, I would go to a multitude of counselors. I would call up some mature believers. I would text a mature believer. I would send a screenshot of, you know, my journal page. I would, whatever. I'd share it with a mature believer and get their feedback on that thing. Sometimes prophecies are delivered, um, mingled with man's interpretations and man's wisdom and man's uh, filters, and they kind of get muddied up. Um, so that's one benefit to having wise, godly counselors. People who have been around the spiritual gifts are going to recognize, you know, is this the Lord or is this man? Uh, the, other, the other concern is that God said uh, we have discerning of spirits as a spiritual gift. So getting around those discerning people in your church, people who are really good at interpreting dreams and really good at discerning prophecy and things like that, those really wise, seasoned saints— those are those kind of counselors that you want in your life. And so I would go to them and I would say, does this sound like the voice of the Lord to you? Um, and then, of course, when it's something really practical, like if somebody says you're going to get a pay raise in 14 days, all you got to do is wait 14 days to see if that prophecy is true. Um, so First Thessalonians, you know, test the spirits. Don't despise prophecy, but test the spirits. And uh, so that's in the testing. That can be pretty simple. Um, I think more of that needs to be done. I think there needs to be, one of my friends said, prophetic integrity. There needs to be prophetic integrity brought back to this country as so many churches, uh, so many denominations, millions of believers 
have run headlong into the gifts of the Spirit that so many people rely on fresh prophecy every single day. And, um, and at this point, man, I mean, how many... How many people were making these prophecies about Trump's re-election in 2020 and things like that? And it just totally, they totally bombed it, right? Totally bombed it. Well, there needs to be some prophetic integrity brought back and people owning up to some of those things. So as we test them, we can say, well, nope, that guy swung for the fences and he missed, okay? Missed on that prophecy. Um, and, and he should really own up to it. I, just, I think, you know, again, I would, I would use the same standards for preachers. I would say if a preacher... Is swinging for the fence and he misses. You know, if he if he teaches something wrongly in the pulpit or something of that nature, it's like, yeah, we have the same standards. Have the same standards. Let's let's test what's being said. Uh, hold one another in loving accountability. Um, you know, all of us are just earnestly pursuing to get closer to the heart of Jesus, recognizing nobody is going to get it perfect. And remembering that Paul said what we do we speak in part and we know in part all we have are parts we have puzzle pieces man nobody has the whole picture we just have these puzzle pieces and uh, sometimes we guess when we get outside of our puzzle piece Um, but we're going to help keep each other accountable for these things so uh, definitely in how do I trust what somebody's saying I I think I just keep the standards the same no matter what the spiritual gift this I should say that the speaking gift is whether the speaking gift is preaching or prophecy or wisdom or utterances of of word uh, words of knowledge Uh, i say we just use those same standards of coming back to the scriptures for one coming back to a multitude of counselors for two and then um, testing those spirits seeing you know if these things are coming to pass and if they're bearing fruit and then um you and and then repenting when when that needs to happen for sure okay great question great question Number three, shifting gears out of the speaking gifts and moving into the ministry gifts. If I don't have the gift of healing, should I not pray by laying hands on someone? I find so much humility in this question. If I don't have the gift of healing, should I not pray by laying hands on someone? All right, so what's really interesting about this Now, I personally believe that there is one healer, and that is Jesus, okay? Uh, In Exodus, the Lord revealed himself to Israel and said, I am Yahweh Rapha, your healer, the God who heals you, the Lord who heals you. He is Rapha, and I just believe he's the healer. I don't believe I've ever healed anybody. I think that God's power has flowed through me on numerous occasions and that God has used these hands uh, to heal people, but I didn't do it. I don't have that power with me, within me. Uh, and guess what? Paul didn't either. Paul was not a healer. Uh, he tried. He tried and prayed for himself. Remember, he had a thorn in the flesh. He said, "Lord, deliver me." He, three times he begged the Lord, and three times the Lord said, "My grace is sufficient for you, Paul." Paul was not a healer. He couldn't heal himself. He couldn't heal uh, Epaphroditus. He was scared that Epaphroditus was going to die, and he couldn't heal him on command. Um, and then I also think like Timothy, for example, was sick and Paul said, Hey man, drink some wine for your stomach's sake and you're often infirmity, your, your, um, frequent infirmities. So I, we have actually multiple examples of times where Paul would have desired healing and it didn't happen. I think that there is a definite misrepresentation of, um, 
so-called like faith healers. Well, I mean, there are bad faith healers. There, there are frauds out there. That's for sure. But there's a bad representation um, built up where it's like somehow we presume in the Bible times, like Peter just had healing on command or Paul had healing on command. That wasn't the case. They were not, there's no evidence of that. They're, they weren't healers. Jesus is the healer. And so actually, I think men have built that up and said, well, Paul was a, a healer on command. And these guys these days who pretend to be faith healers, they're not. And then they make up some straw man weirdo argument, like why doesn't a healer just walk through a hospital and empty it out? By the way, in, in revival history, there are times when disease and sickness and so on uh, drop dramatically in hospitals, empty out dramatically in, in revival seasons. So yeah, that stuff does happen, man. Um, but it's not the result of a person being a healer. And I think it's worth noting that there are gifts on command. I have a teaching gift on command. I mean, I flipped on my camera right now, decided to do a podcast and my teaching gift is just ready to go. Um, Somebody with a hospitality gift, a generosity gift. Those are on command. Um, the gift of tongues, according to 1 Corinthians 14, praying in an unknown language uh, unto the Lord, edifying one's self, found in 1 Corinthians 14. That's an on-command gift. Uh, there are other gifts that are not on command. And I would say that when you read 1 Corinthians 14, and it says specifically gifts of healing in the plural, or chapter 12, gifts in the plural that it's uh, it's strongly possible that he's insinuating this isn't like you yourself are a gifted healer although that might be the case there might be someone who more often healing flows through them but i don't think he's saying you're going to be an on-command healer like he's an on-command preacher there's no that's not an example in the bible like besides jesus himself the, the apostles didn't have that. Um, so I think the point being, if you're asking, I don't have the gift of healing, should I not lay hands on people? I think that the laying on of hands to pray for the sick is common to the first church. I think it's instructed in James chapter number five that says if somebody's sick, let them call the church, call the elders, let them anoint them with oil, lay on hands, pray the prayer of faith to save the sick. Um, and the, the laying on of the hands is is not restricted in the scriptures. The praying for the sick is, is very common. Now, there are going to be some people who maybe God gives them a gift of faith. Faith is a gift of the Spirit. And maybe they have faith given in greater measure that allows them to pray for healing. Um, I think the bottom line is, no, don't be scared to pray for healing. Don't be scared. Don't, don't hesitate to pray for healing. And I think the biggest source of fear is when it comes to healing is us wondering what if it fails what if i pray for the healing and they're not healed and i'll tell you if you're going to be a, a person of faith if you're going to follow after jesus and if you're going to really pursue the prayers for healing you will face that every day of your life my friends every day you will pray right now i mean today twice i've prayed oh lord Please heal this person, wondering, is he going to pour out his mercies and heal them or not? You know, so that's something that we can't let the, um, 
you know, again, if, if we compare gifts to gifts and just kind of use the same standards across the board, it's like, I don't use that standard of fear in, in my preaching or in evangelism, right? If you were compelled by the Spirit of God to, to share the gospel with somebody, would you say to yourself, but what if they don't get saved? I just better not share the gospel because they might not get saved. No, you're going to share the gospel, right? And it's the same thing with our prayers for healing. We want to uh, pursue that. We want to pursue faith. Uh, if I don't have the gift of healing. So I think probably the biblical way of, of stating this question would be like, if I don't have gifts, remember it's plural, gifts of healings. Um, I think I've talked enough about that. Pray for the Pray for the sick. That's commonplace to the church. That is so commonplace to the church. Pray for the sick. Pray for the gift of healing. Really, ask for it. You have not because you ask not, right? So, Lord, if, if you'd like to pour out healing into your church, I'd be a willing vessel. You can use these hands. Uh, you can use my prayers. Uh, I'll be here. And I'll, by faith, pray for the sick if you want to heal through me. Okay. I'm going to jump down to to use this as question four this is a really good one how would you defend your continuationist position okay my continuationist position that means i believe that all the spiritual gifts have continued i believe that what started on the day of pentecost is still active until today they have continued so that's my continuationist position. How would you defend your continuationist position against cessationist commentary like this? Okay, cessationist is a term uh, referencing a, a type of doctrine, a belief, that says the, the gifts ceased sometime maybe in the first century or generation. Diff different people define that differently. I, I was a cessationist for a very long time, for 30 years. I was a cessationist um, thinking, oh, well, tongues was needed in the first century and prophecy was needed in the first century. But now we have the Bible, so we don't need those things anymore. And that's that was effectively how I believed as a cessationist. But now this question is, how would you defend your, your continuationist position against cessationist commentary like this? Quote, Beside the apostles and their close associates, the New Testament nowhere specifically describes individuals exercising the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. It is also important to realize that the early church did not have the completed Bible as we do today. Therefore, the gifts of prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, etc. were necessary in order for the early Christians to know what God would have them to do. And the gift of prophecy enabled believers to communicate new truth and revelation from God. Now that God's revelation is complete in the Bible, the revelatory gift, quote unquote, revelatory gifts are no longer needed, at least not in the same capacity as they were in the New Testament. All right, so there's two cessationist points here. They're actually very common cessationist points. I've answered these points in my book that's called Another Look at the Holy Spirit. You can actually download the PDF for free through spiritforward.faith. If you go there, you can sign up for our email list and you can get my book for free. Like it's, it's a big old book. Um, and it has a lot of, uh, I think I put seven cessationist 
points, and then I answered those accordingly. So uh, you'd probably like it a lot if you're listening to this podcast. The first point is, beside the apostles and their close associates. All right. I think that would be true only in the first days following Pentecost. Um, So we know full well that in Acts 2, the Spirit of God fell upon the church, um, filled the church in a fresh new way. And 120 people who had been praying in the upper room um, were suddenly ministering in power to 3,000 folks. Okay. So in the beginning, yes, it's true that we saw Peter healing. We saw Paul healing. But if we travel down the timeline um, just a number of years, we actually find that the book of 1 Corinthians was written to an entire church community acting in those spiritual gifts. Like why did Paul write an entire manual on the spiritual gifts if only the apostles were doing them? That's a good question. Why did Paul write 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 if only the apostles and their close associates were prophesying? That's actually not the case at all. Uh, The pattern is one of discipleship. So uh, the pattern is seen with Samuel. Boy Samuel got visited by the Lord when there was no open vision in the land. First Samuel 3, here's a little boy. He's visited by a word from the Lord. And then the Lord raises him up and establishes him as a prophet. And I think just seven chapters later, you find it a school of prophets. So the pattern is discipleship. God raised up a prophet. He trained other prophets. Jump to the New Testament. What do you find? You find Jesus who trained 12 and realistically, he, he trained a lot more than 12. He trained 120. They understood uh, prophetic ministry. And then by the time you get to 1 Corinthians, the entire community of believers were recognizing that uh, the truth of Joel 2. Remember, uh, Peter's, uh, he preached Joel 2 that says all of everybody, man and woman, all flesh, would prophesy. So the prophetic gifts were intentionally poured out. That's exactly what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. It's for everybody. It's not just for this man of God. You know, it is for everybody. And uh, <laughs> Paul wrote, he wrote a, a manual on the spiritual gifts so that all the church in all of the church age would know how to use them properly. He wants you to use tongues properly. He wants you to use prophecy properly. And that's why uh, he gave some instructions on on doing so. So the way I see this, it was not at all the apostles and their close associates. It was the entire church community that was um, exercising miraculous gifts of the Spirit. Now, it was definitely, you know, some people get more than others. And we should never compare ourselves. We should never desire uh, what other people have. We should never covet what other people have. But it was for the whole church community. Okay, the second part of this, so the first part, this first cessationist point there was like, it was just the apostles and their close associates who did the gifts. Nobody else did. I I just think that's um, an error. I I just think that's wrong. Um, Secondly, they basically said, we don't need gifts of prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, etc. since now we have the completed Bible. Well, again, um, this is a like just a misnomer. I think when you look at the gifts de- described in the book of Acts. So let's take, for example, the guy named Agabus. Agabus prophesied about a famine. 
So the Bible is not a book that teaches us when famines are coming to the land, right? Like it's not an almanac. You don't pick up the Bible and see uh, what is the weather going to be like tomorrow? How should I prepare? Is you know what is this impending hurricane that's on the horizon? Like that's no. The Bible is a book for for doctrines. It's universally binding. It holds us all, every single saint, to the same standards. Um, but what Agabus was prophesying was, hey, there's a famine coming. We should get ready. Um, so what I see is the gift of prophecy not serving the same function as scriptures serve. That same guy Agabus prophesied over Paul. He wrapped up his wrists with a belt, and he said, Who, whoever owns this belt, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get arrested. And it was Paul's belt. He was prophesying, Paul, you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get arrested. It was a true prophecy. It happened. Okay. And so, again, the scriptures don't exist to tell you that. If the Spirit of the Lord fell onto your church, I mean, if you were having a church prayer meeting and suddenly the Spirit of the Lord is saying, heads up. Your pastor's about to get arrested. Well, that's a word of knowledge, isn't it? And it has nothing to do with the way that the scriptures exist. So, you know, Paul told us that um, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's the purpose of the scriptures. And then uh, the same guy, Paul, he wrote and said that the purpose of the gifts in 1 Corinthians, he says, are for comfort, for building up the church. Uh, or edification. He says, for comfort, for edification, and for encouragement. And so you can kind of see how you have these um, two gifts. I mean, the Bible is a gift from God, and then the spiritual gifts are a gift from God. And these these graces in our life, they do actually serve separate purposes. They don't overlap. They, they're not the same function. Um, so I would say to suggest that since I have 66 books of the Bible, I mean, we have the New Testament. Whenever Paul referenced the scriptures, he was talking about Old Testament, right? When he told Timothy, from a child, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. When he said that to Timothy, he was referencing the Old Testament. So to suggest that somehow the 66 books of the Bible are what's totally needed and since they didn't have the New Testament, they had to have the gift of prophecy. That just it isn't consistent with the way uh, that that the gifts are being defined in the New Testament. So, one of my favorite uh, definitions of prophecy is in First Corinthians fourteen, and it says, "If someone comes into your church and everybody prophesies over them, the secrets of their heart are revealed, and that person will fall down on their face and worship God and say, Truly, God is in your midst.'" And um, to me, man, that's the kind of church I desire. I desire for somebody to come in and for a total stranger to come over and to speak directly to what's going on in their life, to speak directly to that thing in their heart. And I Probably the first time I was ever impacted by a real legit word of knowledge, I was in a church service and during the invitation, somebody walked over to me, a lady walked over, and she told me two things. And both of those were the top two prayers of my daily prayer life. I mean, the top two burdens in my heart and a total stranger walked over to me and she says, this is what I, I hear from the Lord in your life. And she just, boom, boom, she nailed them both. I mean, it was one of those, like I just sat down totally stunned, understanding a hundred percent God just spoke. There's no way she doesn't know my name. There's no way she can be saying these things right now. And um, so 
you know, we, we see that the gifts of prophecy, these things, they serve a different purpose than the Bible. Uh, get, and, and, and I would say we should not conflate those. If the Bible is for doctrine, we treat the Bible for doctrine. And if the gifts of the Spirit are for encouragement, we should do that. And I think that would also kind of shed some light on why some churches that are heavy on the Spirit and poor on the Word have poor doctrine. And I think also it would show why some Bible-heavy churches that don't have the gifts of the Spirit at play uh, are very poor at encouragement. That makes sense? If we get into one extreme or the other, we lose <laughs> a significant parts of the kingdom. Okay? So um, if you want to see more on that, I have a chapter in my book called A Case for Cessationism, and I wrote a chapter called a case for continuationism and um it'll be a blessing to you you can find that for free over at spiritforward.faith so i got four questions actually the last one was a two-parter so it qualifies we did five questions today and um i hope that encouraged you maybe it sparked some ideas maybe it um ironed out some wrinkles and made some sense out of some stuff maybe it's prompted more questions for you to ask i would love for you to um Hit us up with some more questions. Uh, we have planned for more of these FAQ episodes. And um, please just keep them coming. If you listen to uh, one of our sermons or read my book or some of our podcasts uh, and, and you got these questions, you know, throw them our way. And we want to continue to uh, edify one another. We want to continue uh, to sharpen iron and to do our dead set best to draw closer to the heart and mind of Jesus Christ. And that's what this exists for. Um, so uh, God bless you and we'll catch you next time. I do uh, really want to encourage you to visit that website because you will find links to past sermons, to past podcasts, to the book. I mean, literally there's hours upon hours of content and you'll find probably that the answer to your question is somewhere in that content. And um, some of it's going to bless you and maybe something that you'd be able to share. We would really appreciate you sharing that stuff. And uh, so God bless you. And uh, we will see you next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. For more resources, please visit spiritforward.faith. And until next time, may God bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Mm -hmm.